what's going on. But in terms of what I did, I didn't do much, actually. I walked around in the sun. I abused Netflix in the rain. Um, what I did get to see was an installation at the Unit Pit Gallery, Path by Kate Armstrong. And it is uh, really, really interesting for those of you who are interested in media, uh, the idea of production, anonymity, privacy, social networking, but also the idea of multimedia and the idea of generative art, which is where systems are set in place to automatically generate art that you may not have the control of. Um, That is a really interesting interview to listen to, which we will have for you next week. I just thought I would um, get you involved now because it is a very deep project. I've posted something online and you can also uh, listen. I'm going to give you a little bit of a preview. Path, volume one, a generative book, work in 12 volumes, Kate Armstrong else. It would never be possible for them to be together here or anywhere the landscape drew him into the past. They were connected held in a framework of past How wild is that? It is actually the audiobook version of a book that was started um, and finished with the fragments of text connected to social um, networking places. So you can check that out and I will talk more about it next week. It is running on a 24-hour loop at the Pit Gallery. Um, So we'll talk about more next week. I also wanted to announce very briefly a couple of things that you guys might be interested in. Uh, The Canadian Society for Asian Arts with the MOA is presenting scholar Robert Thurman on Sunday, May 27th at 2 p.m. at the Frederick Wood Theatre at UBC. Now, our own arts correspondent, Sarah Lapsley, will actually be covering a couple of really cool exhibits at the MOA, um, one of which being their new Buddhism, modern Buddhism uh, exhibition. So a little shout out for Asian Heritage Month, which we are wrapping up in the next week or so. And hopefully we'll be able to actually speak to Robert. He's an amazing speaker. You can look him up online, TED Talks. And so we can play a little bit of that next week. But he was recently um, hailed as the leading American expert on Tibetan Buddhism. And he actually was in a monastery. Um, And he decided to leave the monastery partly because he wanted to get married and have kids. And that's kind of contradictory. But also he felt that scholarship would be the way that he could contribute to, you know, to Buddhism, which he obviously was still very much connected to. So he's a very interesting speaker. And if you're interested in learning more about Buddhism, that's an interesting talk to go. It accompanies the Visions of Enlightenment exhibition, which we will be covering which is running all summer and we will have something on that during June. Um, Let's see what else is coming up. Uh, Oh, and just to let you know, uh, tickets are 15 bucks. So you can just go to moa.ubc.ca for more information. Uh, Another thing that's coming up from UBC, um, and this is for all the UBC theater alumni uh, that are out there. So if you are uh, a theater alumni or UBC alumni, or you took arts courses of any kind, this is for you. So listen up. Um, on May 26th, part of Alumni Arts Weekend, the theater uh, department will be honoring a teacher, Peter Loeffler. He passed away in 2002 and he taught Theater 100, among other things. And the event is called Who's There? It's an hour of theatrical shorts, um, which will showcase the kind of avant-garde theater that he really loved. It's on May 26th at 7.30. Tickets are 10 bucks, and it's theater, song, revelry, They mentioned revelry, so that's always fun. And then there's a free buffet after, so food um, is always a great draw. 
Again, everyone's welcome, but it is obviously something that will be uh, a really great celebration for people who either knew Peter or are part of the theater department. Um, it's also a fundraiser for the Peter Loeffler Memorial Prize. So even if you didn't know him, it might be a nice way to um, support funding in theater. Anyway, that's part of Arts Alumni Weekend. And if you are an alumni and that's not interesting to you or that is interesting to you but you want to spend the whole day, you know where you can come? You can come to CITR. We're going to be giving tours and uh, we're going to have uh, some fun stuff happening. So come and visit us on Saturday upstairs in the Student Union building. So... For today, we have uh, a couple of really, or a few really cool interviews, um, starting with Headlines Theatre for Living. So Headlines Theatre for Living was founded in 1981, and, uh, sorry, the the Headlines Theatre was founded in 1981, directed by David Diamond, and it uses theatre for living to help communities tell their stories. Um, It's actually based on Augusto Bull's Theatre of the Impress. Uh, oppressed and he's going to talk a little bit more about that in the interview Um, basically their work is activist theater and theater for living specifically really wants to use the language of theater and other uh, techniques to bring to mainstream theater interdisciplinary work um, a collection of i guess tools to really engage the community Um, they actually used to use the propaganda model, um, which, you know, which David actually very much enthusiastically says is great. You know, when you know what you want to do, when you know what the message is you want to um, give to the communities and anything from, you know, uh, climate change to the vote, you know, where who you want to vote to a specific um, set of values that you want to promote, then really showcasing that can work really well. But he said he wanted to investigate beyond symptoms and to start engaging people on a grassroots level, their very level of thinking. And one of the things they wanted to do was identify what voices are guiding them and allowing them to make informed acts of listening. What you're listening to right now actually is the sound of the CITR outside. So I'm just going to close the door. That breather, that space was brought to you by The Hallway and CITR. So Headlines Theatre for Living has a new show coming up. Um, It is called um, Corporations in Our Heads. Now, Corporations in Our Heads is um, part of kind of a follow-up in a way to a couple of other shows they've done. Um, 2008, they did Two Degrees of Fear and Desire, which was focused on uh, global warming. In 2010, they did Us and Them Inquiry, which was focused on the individual versus society and kind of breaking down those borders. And now we um, have a show called Corporations in Our Heads, which is interactive theater to evict corporate voices from our collective psyche. So he is going to tell us a little bit about the show that's happening from May 24th to the 27th at the W2 Media Cafe. Uh, on West Hastings. And it's actually a by donation event. You RSVP at RSVP at headlinestheater.com. And it's interactive. And what does that mean? Well, it doesn't necessarily mean your basic interactive where you get to shout out um, ideas or, or they, they move through the theater. No, it's a lot more than that. Talking with uh, David Di- Diamond 
who is the artistic and managing director of Theatre for Living, we actually talked about the evolution of his brand of activist theatre. We talked about the role of corporations in our heads. And then we talked about how the show is actually going to work and how it can't happen without you. So it's a, it's a bit of a long interview, but I was really excited about it. Some of the things he says about theatre and about um, how arts can really change how people even think. Wow, very moving. So please enjoy uh, this talk with uh, David Diamond from Theatre for Living about corporations in our heads which is happening from may 24th to may 27th why don't you give us david a little bit of an introduction to the theater for living theater for living has grown out of the a body of work known as the theater of the oppressed that uh, augusta boel um, founded and has spread all around the world i met boel for the first time in 84 and we became friends and colleagues about 12 or 15 years ago though I changed the name of what I do to Theatre for Living and that was a result of getting lots of invitations from communities to come and work with them in the Theatre of the Oppressed model but to try to find a way um, in, in their own words to work against that model that's, that divided their communities they loved the work, but they didn't like what it was doing inside their communities. And that really challenged me to start adapting the work. And so Theatre for Living understands that everything around us is an integrated living system, and that if we're going to get down into the root causes, really, of issues, need to move away from this model that creates good guys and bad guys, find a new lens. Some of your recent shows were Two Degrees of Fear and Desire in 2008 and Us and Them in 2010, uh, The Inquiry. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how this event is is different. Those two events, Two Degrees and the Us and Them Inquiries, have in common with corporations in our heads is that there actually is no play. Uh, No play, no actors, no script. It's pretty important for people knowing what to expect. <laughs> uh, um, that, you know, often in headlines work, there is a play created out of a community process, and then it's an interactive kind of theater called forum theater. But with those two productions and now this thing coming up, Corporations in Our Heads, it's all process. There is no play, no actors, no script. Everything comes out of the audience each night. So it's very different every night. And so with those first two, with Two Degrees of Fear and Desire looked at what stops us from taking action on global warming. It was very specific. And it looked at the voices the, the, in our lives, but voices from parents, from teachers, from uh, colleagues, you know, from, from human beings in our lives who, you know, those voices live inside our consciousness and they affect the choices that we make. We all have those voices. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, Us and Them project asked, uh, uh, I think, quite a poignant question. When will humanity grow up and recognize that, in fact, there is only us here? There is no them. Who are they? Now, uh, speaking of they, this current piece talks about 
corporations in our heads, or rather, those who go to it will be talking about corporations in their heads. Obviously, the corporation is a lightning rod in society. I'm wondering what a corporation is to you in this context. Well, I can tell you what it's not first. People inhabit corporations, of course, but the corporation itself isn't a person. It is a thing. And I, and I don't believe it's a person, contrary to the way law is evolving. Corporations communicate with us dozens, hundreds, perhaps thousands of times a day that corporations might communicate with us more often than our friends and family do. And sometimes that communication is in ways that we don't even recognize. Well, is it possible to use the theater to identify the corporate voices that communicate with us and to find ways, to rehearse ways to evict them from our collective psyche? Can we turn the theater into a laboratory not to work on interhuman relationships like a lot of the work that I have done does, but to recognize that these things are also communicating with us and find a way to disarm affecting choices that we make, life choices, uh, who we aspire to be, how we aspire to be, what success is, um, what relationships are, uh, how we see the planet. I mean, you know, really many, many things. Some of them really big, you know, big, big, big things, and some of them at a very personal level. But I think it's those very personal choices that affect the world, that, that create the world we live in. And so I see this at, as activism at a, at a very, very, very grassroots level. Now, um, obviously, the effect and place of corporations in our society is a very serious topic. But one of the things that I noticed was that you guys use the word play. Come play with us, yeah. says your invitation. And it says that this event is joked by David Diamond. Yeah. A good way to answer that question is to explain how the event unfolds. I will ask for three people to offer stories out of their own lives when they have had to make a choice about something. And in the moment of that decision-making, they know that there are all these voices in their heads. But voices from corporations, and if we think about it, we can identify them. Three people will offer stories. We'll hear the three stories. The room, the audience will choose one story, the story that resonates the most with the room. Let's say it's your story, that you offer a story, and it's your story. And uh, it could either be a story where, where you are by yourself, or it could be with another person. So if it's with another person, somebody will come play that other person. Now, already we're moving away from your real story. We aren't doing this to psychoanalyze the storyteller. We will use the language of the theater, a symbolic language, to create a fiction that tells truths, but based on, that grows out of a real experience of yours, of the storytellers. And so we'll, we'll put the moment up on the stage, and I will, my function as a theater director, as a joker in this moment, will be to look for that second when I can see because I can see it in your eyes all those voices are active in your head and I'll go freeze okay 
in this moment, there's all these voices. Yes, yes, says Megan. Okay, you can't speak. You can't explain. But you can use your body. Make a shape of what the loudest voice is telling you. You'll make a shape. I'll say to the audience, who understands this voice? Lots of hands will go up because they'll, they'll imagine they know what the voice is saying. And I'll say, who can come and turn this shape into a character? Take on the shape, and I'll help you turn it into a character. Lots of hands will go down. But somebody <laughs> will come. Why would Bob from the audience come to play this voice in your head? Not because he knows what's inside you, but because he believes he recognizes the voice from inside himself. So we're pluralizing the story another shape, another voice. So we're going to people the stage with the voices of corporations from inside the storyteller's consciousness. But I think it's those very personal choices that affect the world, that, that create the world we live in. And so I see this at, as activism at a, at a very, very, very grassroots level. That interview was cut rough and ready, just like theater for living is rough and ready or something else that justifies that cutting. Anyway, um, I really want to thank David for speaking to us. Um, I actually am booked in for Friday. So if you want to come and participate with that, apparently it's uh, the different different show every night, obviously, as the audience makes the show. So uh, a couple of things I wanted to mention before we go to break, one of which is to remind you that. He very specifically mentioned that no one should feel obligated to participate. So if you want to go and see this happen, if you're curious, just RSVP at headlinestheater.com. Go check out past shows at headlinestheater.com and come and see the event. If you're the type of person that spontaneously or wants to think about it beforehand, either way, you're welcome to participate. But no one will be pushed up on stage. He says that people always seem to connect with the work and they will come up on their own. So don't worry that you're going to be picked on if you go and see the show. So that's May 24th until the 27th at W2, which is on Hastings, West Hastings. And 111, I think it's at the Media Cafe. Now, I'm going to take a brief break, but... If you missed it earlier, we actually talked about a fundraiser, May 26, 7.30 p.m. at the Frederick Ward Theater for the um, Peter Loeffler Memorial Prize. It's a bunch of fun sketches and kind of a variety night with UBC Theater alumni. And I actually do have a couple of tickets. Um, there's a free buffet. You know, it's dinner, it's food, it's mingling. Um, looks like a fun event if you are a UBC Theater alumni. So just give me a tweet at CITR underscore arts report or send me an email at arts at CITR.ca or give us a call at 604-822-2487 and uh, we can give you a couple of tickets, save you 20 bucks. So I'm going to take a brief break and when we return, we'll talk a little bit about Animatron. Intrigued? You should be. Animatron at Little Mountain Gallery, which is an amazing local venue. So stay tuned. I 
Winnie Cooper presents the Thursday Concert Series at 560 with one of the biggest video walls in North America. 560 is quickly becoming one of the nicest venues Vancouver has to offer. It currently houses four floors, each presenting you with a different musical vibe. In the coming months, the Thursday Concert Series will showcase some of the biggest local and international acts to hit town. The Thursday Concert Series at 560 Club, located at 560 Seymour Street in Vancouver, BC. Presented by Winnie Cooper. Artists in our midst welcomes their 20th anniversary by inviting the public to join them for two popular art events this spring. Event 1 is a free roundhouse exhibit and birthday party on May 16th. One day only at the Roundhouse Community Centre at 181 Roundhouse Muse in Yelltown. There will be an artist reception from 7 to 10 p.m. And don't miss out on the birthday cake bash at 8. Following up the birthday bash, there will be a free open studios walk on May 19th through the 21st. Studios will be open from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. And to see participating artists and a map, visit the website at artistsinourmidst.com. And we're back on the Arts Report, CITR 101.9, CITR.ca, 101.9 on the dial, number one in your hearts. We just heard a promo for Asian Heritage Month, and we also heard a promo for 560. I just wanted to mention that CITR actually pre- presents the live section, so we will we sponsor them. So I just wanted to throw a shout out to CITR for that. Now... Before the break, we just talked a little bit about theater for living. And now we are going to talk about Animatron. So Animatron celebrates the diversity and creativity within animation. On June 2nd, Little Mountain Gallery will become a movie theater. You can check out all the information at littlemountaingallery.com and animatron.ca. And it's going to be a movie theater full of cartoons. And it's going to be shorts. But... Do not, do not mistake this for Spike and Mike. And our uh, guest in our hearts here, Aaron Salazar, um, who I will play an interview with in the moment, um, he gave me the basics about Animatron. He's one of the organizers of Little Mountain. He's been at it since it was the Butcher's Collective. He was one of the 20 artists there. Um, And he, along with Aaron Reed, who you may recognize from the Sunday service, Evan Parsons and Manda Haligowski, their Emily Carr intern, are organizing Animatron 2012. And um, it's featuring Brandon Blomart, uh, Sitji Chow, Hooliganship, Ben Jacques, Peter Larson, Leslie Supnet, uh, Stephen Wechuch, and Chad Van Galen, local uh, Canadian extraordinaire. And I talked to them about, or I rather, I talked to Aaron Salazar about the festival about the recent legality of the gallery and why this is not spike and mike's twisted animation so no toilet humor allowed but um i got the didn't know much about the fest um it had only it occurred sporadically since 2007 it's not every year so far so i got the basics from aaron so please enjoy uh my talk with aaron salazar and we can give you a few more details when we return Uh, Animatron, it started it in 2007. It was a joint effort between myself and uh, a fellow named Stu Hughes, who's a, a local animator. He was involved with an animation collective called Crystal Beard. We basically just wanted to throw together an animation festival at Little Mountain. 
as an excuse to kind of celebrate local animators. The 2007 one was a, was a great start. This year we just wanted to be a bit more curated. One night only, so to, to see it here at Little Mountain, we have uh, lots of chairs. Lots of chairs. We'll, it'll be screening kind of on a loop. So what we'll do is take small intermissions between each run. And the running time of the festival, I believe, is just under an hour. There will be a limited run of DVDs uh, burned and made. And what type of animation do you guys choose? What is your mandate when it comes to what you're going to pick? Totally. I mean, the, fir- the first year was very much all things, some video submissions, experimental works, music videos, comedic pieces. For this year's Animatron, we kind of handpicked people that have either been part of it the previous years or people that we knew. So the goal would be to grow it into maybe something bigger where there is a longer call for submissions so people could even make things specifically for it. Do you have any notes on what distinguishes Vancouver animation? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, a lot of the animation we have in this festival isn't, isn't exclusively from Vancouver. It's, uh, you know, from across Canada and, and the United States. We've had uh, international artists as well over the past years. But uh, okay. I think to Vancouver, originally Animatron was kind of started in response to a bit of a void with uh, animation festivals with Spike and Mike's Sick and Twisted Animation Festival, which I was always a fan of as a kid, but for me, it just felt like a waste of animation to kind of just toilet humor punchlines in the end. I myself have always been interested in animation, so it was originally just kind of a, an excuse to try and, and, and make a piece myself for the festival. So so it was, uh, you're focusing more on animation as an art, and if it happens to be funny or dirty or whatever, that's fine, but it's definitely you're focusing on the artistic capabilities yeah, and, yeah, and exactly, possibilities. Yeah, exactly, on the lone animator, not necessarily uh, a huge team of people behind them and money. It's uh, more on the on the indie level, which I suppose is kind of hand-in-hand hand with the types of events we do here at Little Mountain. Do you I want to tell us a little bit I, about Little Mountain and just your role in... But yeah, my involvement with Little Mountain's been since the early days. Like, it was the Butcher Shop Collective. I was one of the 20 artists involved in that collective. I grew up in the neighborhood, and being part of it was pretty fun and uh, opened my eyes to kind of an art world that I was never really a part of. So after I, after I dropped out of Emily Carr and the, coll- the collective was kind of going through some rough times, me and one other member decided to kind of take it on, and that was in 2006. Since then, I've been, uh, myself and a handful of others have kind of been keeping the place afloat month to month, so we've made it, we've made it to 2012, and it's, now we're legit. Too legit to quit. Yeah, exactly, we are now officially too legit to quit. (laughs) So do you have in your mind a few of the highlights of the fest that people are going to see? We have a, an animation by Chad Van Galen, which is always awesome. He's a true uh, Canadian legend animator. Yeah, so he's been in a few times. We have a lot of people returning, like Hooligan Ship, which is a duo out of Portland. They have a epic piece, I think the longest piece in the festival. Def- define epic when it comes to animation. Nine to ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> or eleven. How will depending, people sit you know, still? Depending on the frame rate, you know, you're, you're committing to years of work depending how long you're 
animation is going to be. Well, thanks so much for um, for joining me. Oh, my pleasure, Megan. Thanks for having me. Talk to you later. Yeah, that music is actually from the video that you can see very briefly at animatron.ca listing again for you all the um, wonderful animators that will be there. Um, I really like Spike and Mike. I think that's a fun event, but it's one of the few times I ever get to see animation, um, especially if you want to sit in a theater and you don't want to sit at home. So I, I think it's really be really great that it's back again this year. Just... Um, just this very second, I am clicking post. Um, here I go. Do you hear that? Animatron. I am posting a Chad Van Galen, um, animation called F-U-C-K eBay, Black Mold. And it's performed and animated by Chad Van Galen. So that's a little, um, preview. And that is going to be happening June 2nd. So I just want to clarify the process. So as he mentioned, popcorn and candy by donation. The whole show is an hour. It will be running on a loop. So that means that you can drop by anytime between 7 to 11 p.m. And you can watch it screening style. And then on June 3rd, you can drop by anytime during the day, during gallery hours. And it's going to be more gallery style. There will be some installation work as well. So um, that's June 2nd and June 3rd, Little Mountain Gallery, and that is on Main Street. You can get all the information at littlemountaingallery.com. So another thing that is happening next week, May, th- um, May 30th, so I'll remind you again next week if you need to remember, but um, Real Wheels, which is a local, uh, it's a local theater group and community uh, organization that focuses on supporting and structuring people with various types of um, different abilities to come into the fine arts, to come into theater and to express themselves. And their most latest event is Wheel Voices Live. Now, um, Real Wheels um, is a Vancouver-based, it's professional theater company, but it's looking to deepen our understanding of the disability experience, and then it engages the community. So the performances are from members of the community, not necessarily professional actors. And um, this is one of its, it's been doing community projects for a few years now, and um, the Wheel Voices pilot project from 2011 was extended from uh, its original 12 sessions, so it was a workshop session, to 23 sessions, and then eventually um, people worked towards a public performance. So Wheel Voices Live um, is stories from real people with disabilities and a wide variety of experiences and expressions from the community. And I spoke to founding artistic director James Sanders, who actually won the Canadian Paraplegic Association's 2011 Christopher Reeve Award. He's like Superman, basically, is what we're trying to say. Um, After he became quadriplegic after a spinal cord injury. Now, in um, 1989, he was in Douglas College. He was three semesters into studying at Douglas College when he had his spinal cord injury. It set him back a year, but he finished, and then he went on to SFU for BA and Fine Arts, and he enjoyed it a lot. He thought it was great for rehabilitation, for expression, and for understanding what his new identity was in this new body. 
the physical barriers were difficult, he told me, but the attitude barriers were even harder. And they were harder to understand, both with people that he already knew and with people who he encountered. Um, there's obviously a lot of different disabilities out there and sometimes there are things that you're born with and sometimes there are things that happen to you but either way people often see your disability first and he wanted to look into that so after he dealt with this for a while in 2004 he decided to use his abilities and his training to address these issues and real wheels was born their first their first show skydive took three years to develop Um, And it featured performers up to 15 feet in the air, all in flight. So they were all connected um, to these um, long pieces of cloth with various various levers and pulleys. And they looked like they were flying. They looked like they were flying during the story. Um, So we talked about this show, his upcoming fundraiser on the 30th which will be um, free to the public, but you should RSVP. I'll give you all that information. And um, we also started by talking about the Real Wheels mandate to deepen the audience's understanding of the disability experience. So if you could go ahead and listen to James, the artistic director and founder of Real Wheels, tell us a little bit about deepening the audience's understanding. And so in 2004... I started a company called Real and what I mean by that is that we don't necessarily want to talk about disability issues, but we want the audience to gain a bit of an appreciation for them. And I felt after seeing a bunch of, quote, disability arts, unquote, shows or content that, that was uh, what I would call the uh, issue plays, a lot of them were, there's two problems. One, they, one is they can kind of preach to the choir that the audience is already aware of the issues. Mm-hmm. The other is that they can alienate because, let's face it, nobody wants to have a disability or an illness. So we kind of shy away when we have content like that. So what we wanted to do was create a show that had absolutely nothing to do with disability, but because I was going to be in it, we would have that content. We'd have representation. And I feel that accurate and respectful representation of disability in any kind of story, a universal story, will speak more than any sort of play that's, that deals directly with an issue. So a longtime friend of mine, Bob Fraser, who I originally went to school with at Douglas College, and Kevin Kerr, who's, who, uh, who met Bob and worked on a, a couple of shows, the three of us got together and created a show called Skydive. And Skydive was uh, a bit crazy in that the entire show takes place in the air with the use of these miraculous instruments that, that dance choreographer Sven Johansson created. It's a 21-foot-long metal pole with a counter lever a third of the way. At the short end, if you can imagine a big wheel, there's an operator who controls this long instrument, at the, and at the long end of the fulcrum, the performer gets trapped in. And what this does is it enables the performers to play up to 15 feet in the air. The story was of two brothers, an introvert and an extrovert. And the introvert can't get up in the house. He's locked himself up in his mother's basement. And the extrovert, who I got to play, takes the introvert out of the house and convinces him the best way to overcome his fears is to go skydiving. And they do. And things go terribly wrong. For one of the characters dies, and the other one has a spinal injury. And it's not until the end that when I roll out on stage in my wheelchair that the audience most of the audience is even aware that I'm quadriplegic, and it has quite a profound effect on the audience. They, 
they have a very high impact show. It's comedy, so it's we use laughter to bring the audience's hearts out on their sleeve, and then we gently squeeze it at the end. And they leave the theater with this awareness that you know there's some new possibilities with related to disability, and hopefully that next time that they're out in the world, they will and they encounter disability, just either in the workplace or in school or on the street, that they'll have a greater sensitivity and a greater understanding. So tell me how the Wheel Voices project came to be. And you have your event, Wheel Voices Live, on the 30th. For me, as a person with a disability, it was really important when I came out of my schooling that I got my feet wet. And there are not, there are not a lot of opportunities for people with disabilities in the arts. Also, it, it, it brought me back to a time when I was first going through my rehabilitation, that there were a lot of recreational programs for sports and leisure, but there weren't many offered for the performing arts. There were quite a few for visual arts, which was very inspiring. But for me, in my practice, I wanted to get you know hands-on on the stage. So Real Wheels uh, wanted to take an opportunity to, to give people with disabilities uh, a safe and supportive environment to explore theater, music, and dance. So in January of last year, we had an open call to people who identified with disabilities to come and explore. And we were really surprised. We had over 25 people show up on our first session. And my plan was to do a little meet and greet and sort of goal setting. And that, oh, that'll last the 90-minute session. Well, it only lasted about 12 minutes, and I was kind of stumped. I didn't know quite what to do. So I asked the class, you know, what, what are you what would you like to do with the remaining amount of time? And one of the participants said, well, I'd like to tell the story of Jack and the Beanstalk. And I thought, wow, I haven't heard that story in a long time. So let's go for it. So he, he told the story, and he forgot a few sections, but, but other people remembered, and they filled in the blanks. And then after about, oh, maybe seven, eight minutes of telling the story, I said, well, do you guys want to act it out? And right away, this group who had never met each other before very few of them that had ever worked on stage or in any sort of environment like that. They picked up the roles. They cast themselves as the different characters. Somebody played Jack. Somebody played the Beanstalk. Somebody played the Beans. Somebody played the Huckster, the Ox, etc., etc., etc. And we had this entire group telling the story, getting up on their feet and, and acting out. It was remarkable. In that first session, I realized that there's a really unique opportunity for some really creative expression this group had no fear. Uh, unlike if, if I were to do that exercise in an acting class in downtown, I'd get a bunch of actors doing acty type things. But what we had were honest people telling honest stories from the heart. So over the course of 22 weeks, we came in with some improv theater. We did some dance, some music. I brought in a little script. And then we kind of settled in on the five-minute story where people would tell the story of something of their personal experience, I'd give them some feedback and then they'd re retell it. And one of the participants revealed herself to be a poet, quite a profound poet. And so we read her poems and participants recorded them in a studio at, at uh, where we work in a place called G.F. Strong. And then we put music underneath those poems and then that formed the soundscape for some wheelchair dance. And the poems had a theme of emerging butterfly. So we told three stories, six participants, a story of stagnation, a story of transformation, and a story of freedom. And that formed the first performance of 
of Wheel Voices, which was in June of, of last year. Well, this year, it's going to be uh, the next step up for many of these performers who who some of them will probably continue at this community level, but for others, there's a few that already you can see that they have the talent and the passion to pursue performing arts on a higher level. Now that looks like a an interesting um, event. Now, just to clarify, Real Wheels is actually, um, and Wheel Voices Live, is actually a... Um, a workshop project so you come and you can actually tell stories and uh, participate with you know other um, community collaborators and then they do these events to further um, promote and fundraise and so on May 30th there will be a fundraiser it's invite only so you have to um, RSVP um and I will give you uh, RSVP through the realwheels.ca website. And it's free, but people obviously encourage, uh, you are encouraged to donate, and you'll be able to talk to some of the participants. And then the actual series runs, I believe, every Wednesday. Now, the fundraiser is uh, at the Roundhouse Community Center, um, 181 Roundhouse Muse, just at the um, the beach end of... Davy, I believe. And as I said, you can check out more information at realwheels.ca and RSVP through the website. Um, the other thing I will say is that um, as far as I know, one of our correspondents, Zoe, she will be attending the event next week so she can give us an idea about a little bit more about the series. Now we are going to take another brief break. And when we get back, we are going to talk about the In the House Festival, which is a really unique festival, multidisciplinary kind of lovely hippie folk music and readings and theater and just all this really amazing stuff that's going to be happening and we actually happen in the studio right now outside uh happen to have one of the performers who's going to be in it um completely coincidentally so i'll just pull her in with jason jung who is doing an interview with them and uh recording some music and we'll pull them in after we talk about the in the house festival so please stay tuned and just be patient through this amazing short break. 2012 Grammy Award winners Tedeschi Trucks Band brings their blues-inspired show to the Vancouver Centre for Performing Arts for one night, June 19th. Tickets on sale at Ticketmaster.ca or by calling 855-985-5000. Don't miss Tedeschi Trucks Band on June 19th at the Vancouver Centre for Performing Arts. For more information, go to TedeschiTrucks.com. Well, I came to the city. I was running from... The month of May is Asian Heritage Month. This month is an opportunity to acknowledge and celebrate the rich history of Asian Canadians and their contributions to our communities. Since its inception in Toronto in 1993, cities across Canada, including Vancouver, have been holding annual festivities to recognize Asian Heritage Month throughout the month of May. CITR will be airing special PSAs to keep you up to date on local events, informative pieces about Asian Canadians in the Vancouver community, and special blocks of Asian Heritage Month programming. So stay tuned to CITR 101.9 FM and logged in to CITR.ca for all things Asian Heritage Month this month of May. And we'll have a little bit more Asian Heritage Month coverage next week i will be reviewing a um 
I guess, installation at the Vancouver Art Gallery and exhibition of uh, Yudon's third, uh, fifth night. Fifth night, um, and it's a, a really interesting filmic presentation. And then it is also with um, a again and again and again, which is a um, exhibition revolving around repetition. So I will talk about that more next week. But right now, we are going to be talking about the In the House Festival. Um, In the House Festival happens every year. This is the ninth annual In the House Festival, building community through arts and culture. It really is a community event. It's about uh, getting elbow to elbow and face to face with artists and members of your community in the house in people's homes around Commercial Drive. So from June 1st to 3rd, the homes of Commercial Drive, living rooms, backyards, porches become these amazing cultural spaces. Three days, 19 shows, 60 acts in a dozen houses. So um, the box office is going to be located at Napier in Victoria and will open on Friday, June 1st. And um, tickets are 15 bucks, or you can get like a pass uh, as well and $10 for kids. And tickets are on sale right now um, at the website in thehousefestival.com and at High Life Records. And I talked to Miriam Steinberg, who's the artistic director of the In the House Festival. And we talked about what's going on this year and about what the atmosphere is like and even how festivals like this can contribute to a lifelong love of the arts. But we started at the beginning. So here is Miriam Steinberg telling us a little bit about how the In the House Festival got started in the first place. It was actually a friend of mine who came up with the initial idea and brought me and a few other people on board. And that was in 2003. And the experience that I had organizing that festival and on the days of was just incredible. Like, it was really inspiring. I actually had never really spent much time going to shows previous to that. And um, so it totally opened my eyes to so much of the performances that were happening in Vancouver and the artists that were around and um, the spirit of community that was really, really present at that festival was extremely inspiring. So um, in the following year, so I brought it, it fizzled out in 2004, but in 2005, it was pretty much all I wanted to do. And so I, everybody was off doing their own projects or out of town. And so I took it over and kind of developed it and built it up to what it is today. Seeing these performances in a home versus a theater space, what do you think that adds to the experience of it's a much more intimate experience. You're face-to-face with the artist, and the artist is face-to-face with you. This is a moment where, and an opportunity for the audience to be really riveted on the artist, and for the artist to really be able to communicate with the audience and present new material or rehash stuff that they really love and, and that they want to share with the audience. And to have that eye contact and to not have blazing lights in their eyeballs or people talking over them and it's it's just really focused on the performance and you know even with the the audience member being so close together they get to meet new people they get to and you're allowing friendships to be built and relationships to be created can you give us a bit of an outline of some of the types of performances that people can catch this year so there's 20 shows over the weekend there's everything from world music to jazz dance, there's a magic show, there's a cabaret, there's a circus, 
There's some indie music. There's some DJs. I'm pretty excited. There's Mocha Only and Michael Fraser who are playing together. Two acts in the same show. I'm really looking forward to that one. And there's a theater piece called Proof. And the cool thing about Proof is that the actual play takes place on the front deck of somebody's house. We're going to be producing it, and it's going to be on their back deck. It's like a natural setting for it, ready-made. It's pretty great. Is there anything new or different, you know, for the listeners who have been to the festival before? The thing is, is that it's always been so eclectic that mm-hmm. there's always something new. And there's always, for example, this year there's Arce Osowski who wanted to put on the encyclopedia show, which is kind of like a game show meets cabaret. It should be really, really interesting. So he had this ready-made show, and he was like, I would love to present this through in the house. So I gave him a slot at the festival. Does this really represent kind of just things that, that you and your team love and think are interesting? It's a combo of things. A lot of it is stuff that I really want to see, personally, because it's pretty great that I can do that. <laughs> yeah, I know. If you're running an arts <laughs> festival, you should definitely... What, yeah. what do you think I put on the arts report? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then a lot of it is also what I kind of know that people are interested in um, or that... You know, it's kind of, there's a buzz about a certain genre of music or dance that's happening, and I really want to be able to showcase that, and I know that there's a, a, a lack of venues in town, and so this is a really great platform for performance to be showcased, and and people get really excited about it. Is there any kind of etiquette beyond simple common courtesy, you know, not making a huge mess, not breaking anything, um, when you're entering people's homes that people might want to know and make them feel more comfortable? Um, Essentially, it's pretty common sense. It's just respect the home. They're sharing their space. And so in return, in gratitude, then treat their home with kindness and love. Oh, and the other important thing is smile at people. Say hi to the person beside you. You know, it's really important to, to meet new people, I think, personally. It's just expand your horizons and if someone is sitting beside you then just say hi don't frown one thing that i like to emphasize is that it is family friendly okay so even though it's really eclectic and there's a huge amount of things to see and there is a, a, a show dedicated to the kids i really encourage parents to bring their kids to whatever show they want I really, really strongly believe that an appreciation for the for arts and culture begins when you're a toddler or when you're a baby. And when you get used to going to shows, then as an adult, still going to explore those avenues of entertainment and appreciate. I think that's one of the major things in Vancouver that needs to, to happen is just educating people about arts appreciation. And so this is a really great festival to start doing that. Yeah, Miriam um, is a lovely lady, and the festival sounds amazing. I really took to heart what she said about um, instilling in people a love of the arts because those types of things, watching and witnessing art and being critical and interested and bringing something out of it aren't 
always natural to all people. And I think that there are certain types of media that are prominent in our society that really encourage passiveness. And these types of community festivals, especially in people's homes, really don't allow that. So um, I like the idea of training people how to be artistic, not necessarily connoisseurs or or snobs or anything like that, but just an appreciation of going to see something live and thinking about how it affects your life um, and that you can never start that too early. A couple of things that we talked about um, that I didn't uh, include were uh, a few reminders on etiquette because I feel like a lot of times these types of unique festivals, you want to know a little bit. It makes you feel comfortable. So it's going to be very flat family friendly um there will be kids around but um bring your kids as she said smile at your neighbor be respectful of people's space you know this is their home don't leave marks or garbage and check your feet out because you'll probably have to take your shoes off so get them polished up um we are uh, also there is going to be there's a bit of a fundraiser going on at www.indiegogo.com slash in the house festival there's tons of perks to donating you know swag and tax receipts and CDs so check that out as well and we actually are going to have a little bit more um, on in the house coming up probably online but right now serendipitously we have an artist that will be playing June 1st um, as part of the cabaret night Um, and I thought I would let her introduce herself and tell us a little bit about what she does and why she loves the In the House Festival and why, well, it's her first year, so why she decided to do it this year. Hi, Jocelyn. Now, can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Please give them a little bio, if you don't mind. Uh, So I'm Jocelyn Pettit, and I play the fiddle and step dance, and really happy to be part of the In the House Festival. It is my first year, but I've heard a lot of wonderful comments about it, and it's just such a unique and, and wonderful festival being in people's houses. House concerts, have, they have a really unique energy to them where you can mm-hmm. really connect with the audience and get to know each individual person. And it's just, yeah, really looking forward to it. Are you going to be playing solo or with your band? I'll be playing with my band. And they're called the? The Jocelyn Pettit Band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're kind of a big deal. You have a band <laughs> named after you. <laughs> like, um, and uh, you'll be playing on the house on William Street, right, on June 1st. Mm-hmm. I got that right? Yes. And do you want to tell us a little bit about the type of music you play? We play Celtic folk world music, and some of it's traditional, some contemporary, some original pieces, and just really fun music that's danceable, lively, energetic, as well as lyrical, slower pieces as well, and um, just music from Scotland, Ireland, France, Canada, all across Canada, the original music from... BC, composed by me, <laughs> and then the East Coast music, which is what first inspired me to, pr- to play the fiddle when I was four, actually, and then I started when I was eight, mm-hmm. so, so yeah. You, and do you mind if I ask how old you are now? 17. <laughs> oh my god. Um, no, that was very condescending, but um, it warms my heart to meet young artists, so that's so great, and obviously um, doing quite well for yourself. Now, um, is that part of your background, Celtic music, or is it something that you fell in love with, coincidentally? Uh, Yeah, like, I was always exposed to all kinds of music when I was younger. Music was always playing in the house, and uh, I just, I love the Celtic music, because it's so, so fun to play and energetic, and definitely the concert when I was four... Um, I heard Natalie McMaster, and she really inspired me. And my background, my mom's from Malaysia, my dad's Irish, French, and English, some 
German as well, so it's kind of a mix. But um, yeah, I think I don't know. Not really my background, but oh well. Just, I mean, if it, I mean, it's just always interesting to see what inspires people. Mm-hmm. Now um, we are quickly running out of time, but I just wanted to thank you for dropping in. Um, it's a nice to have a little bit of an example of the types of things. Um, and you are actually recording a, an interview and some performance work right now in mm-hmm. CITR. So I am going to get my hands on that and we can post Perfect. something online um, when Jason's done. And um, just do you want to just give us the information one more time about where you'll be playing? We will be on June 1st, 9 p.m. at the Cabaret, Fun Times Cabaret on William Street. Okay. And where can people check you out? Do you have um, anything online that people yeah, can go actually, and visit? My website just went live last week, exciting. which is exciting, and it's Jocelyn Pettit, J-O-C-E-L-Y-N-P-E-T-T-I-T.com. So, yeah, check that out. We definitely will. Um, thank thank you, you so much for joining us, and um, you can check her out at June 1st, and you can check out um, some amazing um, acts and other people. Smile at your neighbor, Vancouver, um, on June 1st to 3rd in the In the House Festival. Um, that is all. Oh my gosh, six o'clock. I did it for once. I'm so excited. Um, I just want to remind you that May 26th, there'll be the Flower Drum Song Sing Along at Denman Theatre. And May 24th to May 27th, Hive the New Bees um, will be playing at the Chapel Arts Centre. And we covered those last week on um, May 16th. So please check that episode out if you'd like to learn more. Next week, we have reviews of Yang Fudan Fifth Night, plus some other local events we mentioned today. Past by Kate Armstrong. Machine Noisy as part of the Queer Arts Festival in July. A Simple Way by Kokoro Dance. Or rather, by a solo work by Barbara Bourget of Kokoro Dance. And a little bit of a preview of our LGBTQ marathon on june 1st this has been the arts report your weekly fix of arts news reviews and interviews up next is discorder radio please continue to listen at citr.ca and citr 101.9 and you can tweet us tweet to us at citr underscore arts report or facebook arts report at citr thank you so much to dave and diamond um, and all our other guests uh, jason sauters aaron salazar and of course um are you going to say goodbye? Oh, goodbye. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, I could, probably should have turned her, uh, her mic on. That would have been a much better way to start it. Next up, we have Discorder Radio. And until then, I'm going to play some of CITR's favorite tunes. Have a great evening. Winnie Cooper presents the Thursday Concert Series at 560. With one of the biggest video walls in North America, 560 is quickly becoming one of the nicest venues Vancouver has to offer. It currently houses four floors, each presenting you with a different musical vibe. In the coming months, the Thursday Concert Series will showcase some of the biggest local and international acts to hit town. The Thursday Concert Series at 560 Club, located at 560 Seymour Street in Vancouver, B.C., presented by Winnie Cooper. Should go back to